Okay, awesome. I think we are all set. So hi, everyone, and welcome back to the next installment of the University of St. Andrews Law Society podcast. My name is Lydia Peterson. I am the outgoing vice president and incoming president of the society for the 2021-2022 year. And we have a very exciting guest today. Um, I am joined by John Ellis, who is a St. Andrews alum and a current 2L at Harvard Law School, or HLS. A little bit more about John's background, he graduated from St. Andrews in 2019 with a degree in history. At HLS, he currently serves on the boards of the Recording Artist Project and the Journal of Sports and Entertainment Law, and he's done work for nonprofit organizations, including the Authors Guild and Protect Democracy. This summer, he is planning to work as a summer associate in the New York office of Deba Voice and Plimpton. So welcome, John, and thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah. Um, so to start off, one aspect of your background that is especially relevant to our listeners is your time at St. Andrews, um, especially given that you are a recent graduate. So any information will be definitely relevant. I believe I was a first year when you were a fourth year. So looking back on your time at St. Andrews from the lens of a current JD candidate, do you have any advice for current St. Andrews students on how to maximize their undergraduate years in preparation for law school or a legal career in general? whether that be specific courses, societies, career services, et cetera, you'd recommend? Yeah, wow, that, that math definitely makes me feel a little older than I, I feel like I actually am, uh, <laughs> being a, a first year when I was a fourth year. But yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, I think I'm, in general, probably a bigger believer in using your undergrad to explore. Um, basically, every lawyer and law student that I've met has these, you know, a ton of outside interests and passions and uh, I think that, that that can also actually come in handy in, in your practice. So, you know, as one example, I spent a lot of my undergrad career singing uh, in, in choirs, and that's helped in dealing with musician clients. So you've sort of been able to connect with them at that level. At the same time, I think you, you definitely should do something law-related, but you, you have a ton of different options. I mean, law society is, is one great option that I personally didn't take advantage of at the university. I know especially you guys have really started to build out different print journalism options with the, the review and law journal, which are all new things since I left. Uh, in particular, sort of, I think class-wise, you can probably look to the, it was the, the Institute of Legal and Constitutional Research. Um, you know, for example, I think I, I took uh, Professor Humphreys' class because I was a history student. I took her class in uh, Legal Cultures in Late Antiquity, which was a fantastic class. I absolutely recommend you you take that if you have the opportunity to, because she's a, she's a great teacher. It's law related. It gave it gave me something to talk about in my law school interviews. Um, so that that was really wh what I did. And then also, I think you can one of the other big things is you can use your summers. So whether that's trying to work at a government job, a nonprofit, a political campaign, um, you know, sometimes that can be difficult uh, regarding funding and things like that. But if you have the opportunity to, I think that's absolutely another option. Yeah, that's great. I know we have some connections with the um, ICLR. So that's something that um, with Law Society, um, if you're listening, um, you should definitely get involved in with regards to those professors that work there. So, yeah, that's great. Thank you so much. Um, so then kind of moving forward from those experiences at St. Andrews, how did you find the transition from being an international student in St. Andrews, studying um, internationally and dealing with undergraduate study in general and kind of the more independent focused coursework that we have at St. Andrews? How did you find the transition from that to law school in particular? 
Oh, it, it was super helpful. I think St. Andrews is probably one of the best preparations you can get for a law degree because law school, as compared to American undergrad, I would say law school is much more of the St. Andrews style of independent study, uh, high focus on exams in particular. So uh, in law school, we don't it kind of like St. Andrews and like the arts, like the arts degrees in St. Andrews, we don't have a lot of individual assignments throughout the semester. It's pretty much focused on usually one or two big papers or and or a, a final exam at the end of the year. So absolutely, I think St. Andrews sort of really, really helped prepare me for that kind of environment in a way that I think an American undergraduate degree maybe wouldn't have. And I've, t I've talked to, definitely talked to friends who have sort of been surprised at how, you know, helpful the, the, that international degree has really been in, in helping me adapt to it. Yeah, I've definitely heard that as well from a few current JD candidates. That's definitely reassuring to hear. Um, so kind of expanding upon that some more, looking into your experience applying to law school as a fourth year, so beginning to make that transition, um, as may have been the case for you, many of our society members enter the law school application process pretty blind given our lack of a pre-law department, so we really rely upon alumni like yourself to provide some context. That being said, how did you find the application process coming from St. Andrews with regards to translating transcripts from the 20-point scale to a 4.0 scale, um, being able to maximize your St. Andrews experience on your resume or your personal statement? Um, how did you find that process overall? Um, you know, I think there's there's always an element that you need to, to plan for in terms of coming from the international sort of side of things. But I don't think it was a hindrance. I think it probably was was a help overall. As far as the mechanics of translating the transcript and things like that, um, that's pretty easy. Uh, LSAC, the, the Law School Admissions Council, has a whole page on applying from an international undergraduate university, and literally they do most they do all the work for you in that department where they uh, you send in you get St. Andrews to send in your transcript, and they will then attach a sheet that explains. The conversion from the 20 point scale to the 4.0 scale, uh, things like that. So you don't really have to worry about the, the mechanics of that. Uh, really, the only thing for me, I think, was was giving them the time to do that. So obviously, it's like it's a snail mail uh, message. So I had to get the registrar to send it from the registrar's office in Scotland all the way to I think LSAC is in Pennsylvania. Um, and the first the first one that I got sent uh, got rejected for whatever reason. It did was some sort of thing wrong with the seal. Um, so I had to go back, then go back to the registrar's office and give them the time to deal with that. So that was really the only hitch that went off in, in my department there. Um, I think more broadly, sort of along a similar lines, the internet is probably your, your best friend in terms of going into law school applications. To some extent, also your worst enemy. Um, you know, there are some great low cost uh, or even, even free sort of information repositories online. Um, I'm thinking both for, for studying for the LSAT as well as in general admissions tips and advice. Uh, the one thing that comes up often in, in discussions of law schools is, the, is uh, subreddit, which uh, I'm sure anybody who has ever Googled law school admissions will, will definitely have stumbled upon. Uh, definitely my advice on that would be to take everything with a grain of salt. Uh, there is some great advice on there and there is a lot of terrible made up people making things up for internet points advice. So it's it's kind of like reading the news. I think you have to you have to both look for official sources and then take everything else kind of with a grain of salt, um, as as far as that goes. Yeah, it's kind of like um, I don't know if you remember College Confidential from undergrad applications, but right. 
it's kind of the blind leading the blind. Um, yeah. So yeah, I've exactly. definitely definitely stumbled upon some of those subreddits myself. Um, <laughs> yeah. You mentioned the LSAT. I'm sure you get this question all the time. Obviously, you go to a very prestigious law school with some pretty high um, marks required for admissions. Um, how did you study for the LSAT? Was it something that you dedicated months and months to? Did you do a program that you'd recommend? Um, I'm sure you get this question all the time, but but yeah, any tips yeah. for those of us um, currently studying? Yeah, the LSAT really can be can be tough, and it's also I think I think it's a super individualized process, right? Where um, you're you're trying to balance when you're trying to go to law school and what kind of resources you have and what score you're you're really looking for. Obviously, everybody wants the the highest score possible, but you know some people can balance it out maybe with better experience. Um, so I started studying for the LSAT in January of my, my third year at St. Andrews. And I spent most of that sort of uh, winter semester, winter spring semester studying for the LSAT. And then I took it twice. So I took it in June, uh, didn't get the score that I wanted. So I then spent, I sort of had a, a relaxing summer job where I wasn't, I wasn't working full, essentially full time. So I then used the extra time to then uh, do another another round of studying, took it again in September, and then applied over that sort of September, October with my new score. So uh, that, that was sort of my strategy for taking it was really studying during the school year, taking it, um, and then when I didn't feel like I got the score that I wanted, then spending the summer really hammering down. As far as, as different studying things, sort of like what I, what I was saying, you know, there's a ton of different options that you can go for, I think, when I when I took it, the, the best strategy for me definitely was just doing a ton of old practice tests. But to be honest, the LSAT has has changed uh, incredibly since I I took it. You know, it was only a couple of years ago, but uh, back when I took it, it was on paper. There were five sections. Now I think I've, I've heard that there's three. There's there's three or four. Um, it's totally totally changed from when I took it. So I'm not I'm not sure how good my advice will be in terms about any specific services or any specific strategies, but that's that's what I did. Awesome, yeah, I know they, so they introduced the LSAT Flex, which they had introduced because of COVID, um, which was three sections. So they got rid of the experimental section and one of the logical reasoning sections. Um, but I believe that they're adding back in the experimental section for August, so. Oh. Better take yeah. it soon. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm taking it in June and then having August as a potential second date. So might have to kind of switch up how I approach it if I'm taking two separate types of exams. <laughs> but but should all work out, hopefully. Um, fingers crossed. <laughs> fingers crossed, exactly. Um, just one more question about applications. Um, I look at, Well, looking at Harvard specifically, HLS is definitely known for its interviews. We just had a webinar with some of the um, GD admissions officers from HLS, and they spoke quite a bit about the interviews. Um, I believe there's even an acronym signaling that you were invited to interview. I think I saw that somewhere. Um, but what was your experience like with that interview? And do you recommend any certain preparation for law school interviews overall? Are they more behavioral? Um, yeah, I, I, I personally don't think that interviews play a, a huge role necessarily, um, even, even though I guess Harvard likes to talk about our, our interview strategies. Uh, they all, between the different law schools, they all tend to be very similar, which is sort of, as you were saying, short 20-minute 
more behavioral type interviews, um, you'll definitely want to go in knowing why law school, why this specific law school, so any more specific points you can talk about, and then also being able to talk about anything on your resume, uh, particularly anything law related, because that that will come up. But in general, I think they're, they can be hard to prepare for just because, you know, the admissions officer is really, really trying to get to know you. So when I had mine, I remember talking a lot about my background in uh, performance and theater because my admissions officer uh, had previously gone to the law school and had, had been in the, the law school parody, which is the, the law school performance show. So we talked a lot about, oh, that's, that might be something that I did uh, when, if I came to HLS, that type of thing. Um, so yeah, I, I would definitely say more on that behavioral side, just be, be you know, willing to have a conversation and willing to, to go with the interviewers. I personally did not get any cr questions that were too crazy. Mine were all pretty straightforward, standard interview questions, but sometimes they do throw curveballs out there. Um, so again, sort of kind of being, being willing to go with the flow and willing to go where your, where your interviewer takes you um, on that adventure, I think is, is the key there. Uh, but if you if you've received an interview uh, request, then I think you it's the the majority of people who get interview requests are receive an offer. So you're doing something right if you if you've received an interview request. Well, that's good. You can go in go in with confidence then if exactly if you get an interview. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. and age old advice: just be yourself. I think is that is that what, what <laughs> yeah that say <laughs> yeah we can we can cut it down to just be yourself. That's the <laughs> yeah <laughs> that's the advice. So moving on kind of from the St. Andrews application process to your time at Harvard, um, for those listening, I was lucky enough to connect with you through a friend at Berkeley College of Music, up and coming artist, love her, um, who is involved in HLS's recording artist project. So could you tell us a bit more about that project and maybe some other projects you're involved in at Harvard? Um, I know you said you were involved in theater and performing arts. Obviously that has probably probably been halted because of COVID, but are there any clinics or student practice organizations that you are particularly fond of? Yeah, I mean, so obviously uh, one, of the, one of the great things about Harvard is its size as a law school. Um, so it, it's, it's quite uh, a bit bigger than many of the other sort of peer law schools that I think helps us you know, offer more of these clinical pro bono type organizations and, and, and projects for people to work on. Uh, RAP is probably the one that I'm, I'm the most involved. We call it the Recording Artist Project. We call it RAP, um, kind of uh, an appropriate name. And yeah, so, so basically sort of as you were saying, we work with Berkeley College of Music students as well as sort of these up and coming artists to provide them with legal advice on everything from uh, contracts, uh, song publishing split sheets, uh, different song revenue deals, uh, the whole works basically. I've, I've done, uh, you know, some, a lot of artists like to form an LLC to sort of put their, their business through that. So I've helped with formation of that. So a wide range of essentially transactional advice, helping typically up and coming artists, although sometimes record labels, managers, things like that uh, with, with their sort of music business side of things, which is super interesting and, and a lot of fun because you both get to do you get to actually use the principles that you're kind of learning about in class uh, while, while you're learning them. And you also get to meet all these incredible people who are making this, this cool music and um, which has been definitely one of, the, one of the highlights of my law school career. Uh, as far as, as other organizations, like I said, there's a, there's a ton of different options. I've also been involved in 
something called the Harvard Law and Entrepreneurship Project, which is a, a similar type deal, but you work with sort of new startups instead of musicians, providing them with sort of transactional advice about how to how to build their business, how to run their business, how to how to structure things. Um, in, in addition to that, I've also worked in a clinic. So you, you mentioned at the top that I worked for this organization called Protect Democracy, doing a lot of legal research around the, the 2020 elections. So they, they're involved in various sort of litigation and other uh, potential advocacy efforts around everything from voting rights to uh, pushing back against executive power, things like that. So there's, there's really a wide range of different projects that you can work on in law school. It's really about sort of how much work you are, are willing to take on and how much you can fit into your schedule uh, because you also do have to go to class still somehow. Yeah, definitely. I can imagine that that's a hard balance to strike. Um, so sounds like you are able to do some public work, some private work. Um, looking at entertainment law specifically, is that a sector that you're hoping to enter upon graduation or just transactional law in general um, with regards to the entrepreneurship? Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I, I think it's definitely one of my interests. Um, but so for, for entertainment law, I think the, the two major markets, it's, it's, really, it's really LA is the, is the center of entertainment law, law. And then New York is sort of a, a definitely a secondary market. So it's, it's one of my interests, but it's uh, probably too, too niche of a practice to sort of guarantee your, your entry into it, unless you're really, really pushing for it. Um, so yeah, but I, I would say that and then transactional law more generally, absolutely. I find, I find that work particularly interesting and engaging. Um, I know the, the firm that I'm, I'm working for both as a, as a nice big transactional practice and uh, does a lot of intellectual property litigation. So I might, I might get to sample both of those over, over summer work. That's kind of one of the, one of the good things about going to a big firm is that you, uh, for us, for a summer, at least that you can sort of get to get to sample these different types of work before you actually start full time. Yeah, that's great. That kind of leads into my next question, um, which is about, um, on-campus interviews specifically, uh, especially given the size of Harvard and obviously how well-known the name of Harvard is, it seems to have a great potential for those interested in big law via those on-campus interviews. Do you feel that there's sort of a funnel into private law or big law? Um, it sounds like that's a path that you're kind of hoping to pursue. Is that something that the majority of HLS students go towards? Yeah, I, I would say that's sort of the, the standard path is uh, you, you essentially go to law school and then you, the summer of your, your second year, usually summer at a big firm, and then you uh, usually will accept their offer to return uh, for at least a, a few years after your graduation. And that's for a variety of reasons from the, the, the training that these places provide is particularly valuable as well as the, you know, the set the salaries after a, a nice big law school debt um, you need to pay off. But absolutely, it's it's definitely the, the the plan that I'm going to, and I think it's it's certainly it's it's certainly the one of the one of the easier paths in terms of as you were saying about the the on campus interviews make it uh, really sort of really help help to facilitate that that process. Um, but absolutely, there's there's a ton of different options as well. Uh, a lot of people at HLS I know uh, are planning on clerking, uh, which is you go work for a judge for a year. Um, and that's usually that's usually in tandem with actually a big law job. So what you'll do is you'll you'll take a year or two off to clerk, and then you will still have your offer to return to a law firm after that. 
Um, and then there's also a, a big, you know, push towards the, the federal government, I would say. That's another big, big hire from, from the law school. I had actually not heard about that, um, being able to work in tandem with clerkship and big law. So that's really interesting. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's usually, uh, so it's, it's not intent, like you're not working at both at the same time, but usually they, they will hold your offer for you if you have gone and then clerk, if you've worked at, there for a summer and then you go and clerk, um, okay. but it, every firm and every person is different. Yeah, for sure. Um, continuing on with that theme of public versus private, different areas to go into, I know that there's a requirement for pro bono hours at Harvard and most law schools, I believe. Uh, could you talk a bit about how you fulfilled that requirement, whether that's um, in the private sector, public sector, and what sorts of things you've done? Yeah, so I think that's that's an ABA requirement, um, where like if it's in order to be an accredited law school, now you have to have a certain number of pro bono hours to graduate. Um, so at Harvard, I believe it's a it's a fifty hour requirement. Um, which can, you know, some people do struggle to fulfill it, but it, it's been pretty easy for me because of my work with with RAP. So all those hours count um, of the of the different clients that I've worked with for for that, uh, as well as HLEP, uh, as well as my my clinic and also uh, my my previous summer work. Uh, basically, any anything that is for sort of a nonprofit type organization or for for pro bono providing pro bono services counts for these hours. Um, so it it really depends on what you get into when you when you start law school and which organizations you work for. Um, so, for example, a lot of people work on journals, as I as I do as well. Um, that will not count for your pro bono hours, but something like the Recording Artist Project or a clinic, or working for a nonprofit over the summer typically will. Okay, that's that's great to hear as well. I I'm sure that many people, like myself, don't often realize that clinics and projects like that count towards your pro bono hours. So. It's kind of difficult to imagine the, being able to throw more the things on top. Registrar will help you with that. Yeah, it's not it's it's not a difficult process. They there's lots of different resources that will tell you whether you're on track to graduate and how many hours you'll need and how you can get them. So, it's it's not too bad. Yeah, it sounds like there's a really great support system at HLS as well with career services and the like. Yeah, no, I, I think they they definitely have a lot of a lot of resources. We have. We have two different career offices, really. One is is the Office of Career Services, and then one is the offer, Office of Public Interest Advising. So as, as you might expect, the OCS uh, tends to handle more of the private sector types of things, also clerkships, and then o OPIA, which is the, the public interest one, essentially handles everything else. So government work, nonprofit work, being a public defender, that kind of thing. Great. Um, so you touched upon this before, but just as kind of a final looking ahead type question. What are your next steps? I know that you're 2L and you are um, working this summer. Are you planning on um, going, continuing with that firm, do you think, upon graduation? Um, do you have any? Well, they have to give me an offer first. But, um, oh, well. <laughs> they have, yeah, they have to see how they like me over the summer. But yes, I think that that is the, the, the current plan is to um, stick with that after, after a, a summer of working. You know, we'll we'll see how everything goes. I think um, I'm ex I'm definitely excited to to see how it is. Even though work is still going to be remote, uh, so I, I will be in the same bedroom that I've been doing law school from for the past year and a half, which is is still a little a little bit uh, grating. But ho hopefully, we'll we'll get to be in person at least at some point, and I'll get to meet all the the fun new people that I'm I'm going to work with. 
Yeah, there's something almost uncanny about doing university work in your childhood bedroom. I can definitely attest to that um, for definitely. myself. <laughs> but, <laughs> but well, we will all be rooting for you with regards to the summer and getting an offer. Um, <laughs> Thank you. So you'll have to keep us updated. Um, just to close up, this is a question we ask all of our interviewees. If you could give one piece of advice to our members, um, especially those applying to law schools in the U.S., what would it be? Yeah, um, so I think my my advice, which is the, the pretty common standard advice, is before you get into this whole applying to law school process, uh, really figure out why you want to go to law school. Um, you know, and I think that's that's both uh, like a strategy for application wise. So that'll probably be, you know, something that you have to put in your, your personal statement and that'll be something that you get asked in every interview. Um, and then it's also just a like a good, good life idea. I think it just in terms of how you want the rest of your, your life to go. So that doesn't mean that you have to have the specifics figured out. So, you know, for example, I wasn't really sure whether I wanted to do government or sort of, as you were saying, the more, more private work, uh, even, even something like transactional litigation. And a lot of people, I think, even are unsure at my stage where you're going into a, a summer of a, a firm and you're still unsure about exactly what you want to do long term. Um, but you should have at least an idea of where you might want to see yourself going and sort of how a law degree can help you get there. Um, so that, that's, I guess, both geographically. So uh, if you're you know, thinking about, oh, do I, would I really want to be living in somewhere like a New York, DC, uh, maybe even LA sort of long-term or would I, would I maybe not? And what, what makes sense for me? Which places make sense for me where I see myself practicing long-term? Um, and a lot of people find it helpful to actually, again, go and work for a couple of years. So I, I didn't do that. Um, because I felt like I sort of had this idea already of, you know, I could, I could have these different options and this is, this is where I saw my future going. Um, but I, I definitely, you know, talking to classmates and also just talking to other people who are in my position and then have taken a couple years out to go and explore, uh, what, what they were working on, you know, sometimes that changes. So, uh, that would be my advice is definitely sort of sit down and really figure that out before you get into the process, because as I'm sure, you know, already halfway through. It's long, it can be expensive, and it takes a lot of work. Yeah, definitely. So kind of find your find your underlying why and have that push you through. Right, yeah. Right. No, and it's uh, sort of to your point, it's also a good motivation for actually finishing the LSAT and finishing all those personal statements and doing those interviews. Yeah, for sure. So we'll definitely be working on that this summer. <laughs> um, well... <laughs> That is all that I have. Thank you so much for joining us today and for answering all of our questions. Um, your insight is super valuable as a St. Andrews alum and as a JD candidate, especially at such a prestigious school. So we really, really appreciate you being here today. Absolutely, yeah, thank you so much. This, is, this was great. And um, please feel free to tell your members to reach out to me if they have any questions about HLS or law school applications or anything like that, or, or even rap if they're, they're musicians who are interested in being one of our clients. Amazing, will do. Thank you so much. All right, thanks. Thanks.